Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from. Thank you, Pastor Rich. Praise God, amen. Just be great to be back in the house of God. How many of you, you're alive in Christ Jesus today and you're full of life and excitement? Give me a wave and give the Lord a big shout. Come on, yeah. Praise God, whoa, whoa. And it applies to those of you online as well. Great to be here this morning and to rejoin back. You know, I've missed you all for the last few weeks uh, being away, but it's great to be back. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. Praise God. Amen. Uh, you know, in a few months' time, we're going to move. Somebody say move. And uh, when we move to our new sanctuary, we're going to ask this big question. It's one thing to move, but will God's glory and His presence move with us? That is the critical thing that we must have. It's one thing to have a building we can call our home, but the building, as I've always said, is a means to an end only. Okay, it is not our final destination. It is a means to an end for what God has called us to be and to do in the city of KK, in the state of Sabah, and in the nation of Malaysia. Somebody say amen. But the main thing that really makes it a happening place is whether God's fire, God's presence, God's glory will go with us. How many of you believe God's glory will go with us? How many of you believe and want God's presence to go with us? Can wave your hand at me? I just want to say this to you. This is the most important thing. The most important thing is not bricks and mortars and steel and concrete. It is the living stones, which is us, where the Holy Spirit indwells. Somebody say amen. And the greatest thing, you know, that really makes the sanctuary of God is not bricks and mortars and stones. It is people and God's presence in our lives and His glory manifest. So, you know, at the beginning of this year, somewhere in February, when the Asbury Revival broke out uh, in, in Asbury Seminary in Wilmo in Kentucky, um, the Lord spoke to me and said that He's going to continue to want to us to fan the flames of revival in this church. How many of you want to see revival come to Skyline? The fire of God is such an important part. And God said, I've given you so much as a church. You have, you know, you have people with generous hearts, generosity. You have influence in the city, influence in the nation. You have so much I've given to you in a place to worship. I've given you buildings. I've given you so many things. But the Lord says, above all, I want you to understand that the one thing we must have as a church is that the fire in Skyline must never die. Somebody say amen. It must never die. The fire must continue to be fanned and we must have the fire of revival. And I sense God saying to us, if we will fan the flames of revival, revival will come to this church. Revival will come into our city. Revival will come into the state. Somebody say amen. I believe that with all my heart. And that's why, you know, God said, said to me that we must continue to meet and fan the flames of revival. And the way in which we do that, that's why this church is very serious about prayer. And that's why we gather together to pray. But let me tell you about this revival that broke out at the beginning of this year in, in Asbury, in Wilmore, in Kentucky. You know, it is in a part due to a Malaysian man. And many people may not know the story, but his name is Dr. Liao Hong Tung. And he actually was uh, a senior lecturer in Malaysian Bible College. And uh, somewhere about two and a half years ago, uh, the Lord told him to give up his job as a senior lecturer there. A senior lecturer is kind of like an associate prof, you know, in American terms. He gave up his, his, his job and went to the United States for what reason? To pray in this place called Wilmore, the small village town called Wilmore, where Asbury Seminary and University was. 
And uh, every day, he would walk around this whole campus and the town in a sandwich board with these kind of signs. Wilmore Awakening Revival coming. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God is going to bring revival to Asbury. And people walk, see him walking around. This guy, he's an academic. He's a seminary prof. And they say, what are you doing here? Some of them insult him. Some scold him. Some tell him, you know, just wasting your time. But he did that day after day with his sandwich board placards. Walking around, believing that God is going to bring revival to, to, to Asbury. And he just walked in obedience to God. And after two years, just quietly doing this. And uh, I, I met his, by the way, I met his son in uh, Malaysian Bible Seminary two weeks ago when I was there. And I said, did your father really do this? He said, yes. He even asked me to follow him on one day. And I did one day and that was enough for me. <laughs> and his father did that for two years. Most of the days of the week for two years. Getting all kinds of scolding and insult. And after two years, the Lord said to him, your time's done. You may now, you know, go. And he went to uh, New York um, just to help the poor in New York because God said to him, I'm going to bring revival and your, your job's done. So he went to New York. And within a few months after he arrived in New York, revival broke out in Asbury. And the reason the Lord wanted him out of the way is the Lord said, I don't want you in the way. I don't want you to think you brought revival. I want to tell you that I, I, I've decided to bring revival on my terms. And revival broke out in Asbury in seminary in February. He flew back from New York uh, to, 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 to come to this revival. And somewhere as we tuned into this revival, a Malaysian, not, his wife is from Hong Kong, a, a, a Chinese woman stood up in the room and said, my husband has been praying for two years for the Asbury revival. And we thought, you know, is it for sure? And then we, we, we traced it and we found, oh yes, this, this guy. You know, we checked with the Malaysian Bible Seminary. Did he resign two and a half years? Yes, he did. Did he go to Asbury? Yes, he did. Did he go to so that because he said he wanted to pray for revival? Yes, he did. Did he do it for over two years? Yes, he did. And his name is Dr. Liao Hong Tung. And when he walked around doing all that, the revival that came to Asbury, God, I'm not saying that God just exclusively used him, but he was part of a parcel of that. And thousands from all over the nation and all over the world came to Asbury for those months when the revival took place until the whole of the small town of Wilmore could not cope with the numbers. Restaurants were full, the hotels were full, and the police had to surround the village and town and said, no more. You can't have people coming in all. Because this, for example, accused upon accused of people trying to get into the, the, the campus and trying to get into the, the chapel. And this is at 1 o'clock in the morning, this queues. This is at 1 o'clock in the morning. God was doing something. How many would like to see that happen in KK? Can I see your hands? We're going to see that happen in our, in our nation. Can somebody say amen to that? You believe that? Say it, amen to that. Amen. Encourage me from the floor and just say it, amen to that. Somebody say amen. Those of you who are watching, believe that. It's going to come into your household as well. In the name of Jesus. And that's why this coming Thursday night, Dr. Liao Hong Tung is passing through. And he said, can I come to Skyline? I said, please come to Skyline. We, just, we would have a revival prayer meeting during that time. Now, he carries an impartation. There's a heart. I spoke to him. I said, oh, God, what are you using? What, what's about this the man's heart? He's a man's heart after God. It's a man's heart after the glory of God. Something is going to be imparted to us when we come together on Thursday. Somebody say amen. amen. So I want this whole sanctuary to be filled, okay? You have only one time. You're not going to live stream it. You, you, you catch this. You catch the revival spirit. You catch the spiritual hunger. You catch the longing for the glory of God from this man. This man, he's going to come. He's going to share his testimony. He's going to share what God has done. And you know, he's just going to pass through just this one night. Okay, so you, you make sure Thursday night you're, you're free. 
and you come and packed up this. We're not live streaming it so that you will catch what God wants to do and you bring that revival fire back into your life and into your family and into your household and wherever you go. How many of you want to be agents of revival and channels for revival? Wave your hand and come on, give the Lord a big shout for that. So see you on Thursday night. Turn to your neighbor and say, see you on Thursday night. Praise God. Amen. Today I want to speak about moving with revival. We want to, as we move, we plan for the big move. We want to make sure we move with revival. As the cloud and the glory of God leads us, we want to move with revival. Everybody say, moving with revival. <clears throat> when we move with revival, we need to do two things. Firstly, we need to understand what does revival look like when it breaks out. Secondly, we need to shepherd revival. We need to be open to the things God does in revival. See, many people have a concept that revival is often, you know, just the presence of God and the glory of God coming down and people are, are, are struck by God's wonderful presence. There's repentance, there's crying, yeah, there's confession of sin and people are reconciled. People are worshipping God and there's a wonderful atmosphere and there's a change in the lives of the community. Miracles break out, all very, very good. But there are facets of revival that we may not be used to. Because there are other things that God does in revival. Because revival can sometimes be like a gentle breeze, which is not what we, we expect. Well, lots of things are confession and tears and, and crying and, and repentance and worship. But sometimes revival can come in like a whirlwind. It can come in like a storm. And it flips everything right way up. So that it, we, we, we see that this is God. And He does it in His own way. And I will tell you one thing. Revival cannot be controlled because you're not in charge. God is in charge. Somebody say amen. And therefore, we must understand what revival is. We must face revival, know what it looks like, and we must continue to shepherd revival so that we can be open to the things God does in revival. And I can tell you of no better place uh, than to look in Acts 19 when revival broke out in the first century AD city, first century uh, AD city of Ephesus, okay? That was about 53, 54, 55 AD in Ephesus when Paul was passing through this huge city, a port city of Ephesus, uh, on his third missionary journey. Now, he had established the Ephesian church in his second missionary journey in Acts 18 already. Nothing much was happening. And then he came back on Acts chapter 19 to visit it a second time to this huge city. And when he came back outside the city, he encountered a few disciples of John the Baptist. And they said they never heard of the Holy Spirit. So he prayed for them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the spoken tongues, and they prophesied. And then Paul came into the city. And then as he came into the city, he went into the synagogue and to preach the gospel. And as he preached in the synagogue, people got touched. But some people very hard-hearted and, you know, resisted the gospel and they threw him out of the synagogue after three months. And so he went next door to a public hall called the Hall of Tyrannus. And it's like a community center hall in KK today. It's like one of these you know, community center halls. So he went there. And for two years, he preached the gospel day after day after day, just sharing with people. Nothing much was happening. He was just preaching the gospel. And then, bang, revival broke out. And now, we enter this account in Acts chapter 19, verses 10 to 20. And I want you to read this passage with me, the short passage. Read it loud. Somebody say loud. So loud that everyone in Sutra Harbor knows that the most happening place in the whole of this resort is here in Skyline, in this auditorium. Somebody say amen. Are you ready for that? Let's go now. Then Paul held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. 
God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched the skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Somebody say expelled. See, evil spirits were expelled. Something was happening. Let's see what else was happening. Verse 13, go. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the men with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, naked and battered. Somebody say, naked and battered. Wow, now this is really like, sounds quite chaotic. And now let's read verse 17, what the Spirit of God was doing. Really loud, final bit, go. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. Somebody say several million dollars. Somebody say, wow. A lot of money that was being, going up in, in, in flames. Verse 20, let's go strong. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. What does revival look like when it happens? What does it, what does it look like when it happens? Many people, as I said, have their own views of revival. But let's look in Scripture. Because this truly was a revival. There was a church there before. It, it was just going along, chugging along. And then, bang, something happened. And it was a city. It was a huge city called Ephesus. It was a port city. One of the biggest cities in the Roman world at that time. What does revival look like? Acts 19. Number one, there are four things about what revival looks like when it happens. Firstly, revival is pulsating. Somebody say Pulsating. Oh, I love the word pulsating. It's a medical term, you know. It's like the pulse racing away. Widespread preaching of the gospel and mass salvation was taking place. And how do we know? That's what the word of God says. So all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. What did they hear? They were not hearing stories. They were hearing the word of God first. It was being preached. The word of God was being preached. And the word of the Lord con continued to increase and prevail mightily. And more and more word of God was being preached. Every day was being preached. And then we, we are told this, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. All the city, just imagine. Somehow or other. See, right now as we preach the word of God, not everybody in, in KK knows that the word of God is being preached right now here. But one day it will happen that everyone knows that every day the word of God is being preached in that particular place. The whole city knew it. All the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, the pre-believers, you know, the, the people who, who are not believers, will hear, they will, they will understand that God's word is being preached. Revival is pulsating. And when that happens, there's mass conversions. In the year 1903, there was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. He was a Welshman. He was not highly educated. He worked in the coal mines of Wales. And, but the Holy Spirit touched his heart and he had a greater hunger to see whales being revived. So every morning for about six to nine months, he would wake up because he was just, you know, the Holy Spirit would wake him up at about one o'clock in the morning, and he would be on his knees until three o'clock in the morning. 
just speaking to God and unburdening his heart to God, telling God the burdens of his heart. And then you know, he would go back to bed and then six o'clock in the morning, he would come down for breakfast. He was living with his mother at that time. He was working in the coal mines and then he would go off uh, to work. And, and his mother used to say to him, Evan, there's something wrong, there's something wrong with you. He said, there's something wrong with you because he would come out down, not tired, but his whole face would radiate with a radiance. And his mother knew something was on, but he never let up that he was being woken by the Holy Spirit clock every morning. He was going on for about six to nine months. And what was his burden? His burden was to see 100,000 souls come to Jesus in his nation of Wales. And then a year after this, or nine months after this, revival broke out in Wales in 1904. And it went on for 18 months until 1905. And in that time, 150,000 people came into the kingdom of God. And Evan Roberts was central to the Welsh revival. Every day, he would be preaching. He going all throughout Wales, preaching day after day after day. Mass conversions. There was widespread preaching of the gospel. The second thing about revival is that it is phenomenal. It's not just pulsating. It's exciting, but it's phenomenal. Um, somebody say phenomenal. Phenomenal means actually it's full of phenomenon, full of signs, full of unusual events and happenings. Unusual signs and wonders were breaking out. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Verse 11 tells us that. What was happening was that Paul was preaching day after day in the hall of Tyrannus for two years. Preaching day after day. And, you know, after months of preaching, suddenly somebody gets healed. And then, you know, wow, people are quite excited. Somebody gets healed. And then nothing happens for a few more months. And then another person gets healed somewhere along the line. And then nothing happens for a few weeks. And then somebody gets healed. And a miracle breaks out. And then nothing happens for one or two weeks. Somebody gets healed. And then nothing happens for, you know, a few more days. And somebody gets healed. And then, you know, then nothing quite happens again for another day. And somebody gets healed. And then somebody gets healed. And then every day, two, three people, four people, five people get healed. And crowds get healed. And then suddenly, miracles break out. You've crossed a line. Just con the constant preaching of the word. Constant faithful preaching of the word. Opening your heart to God that he will bring revival fire. You just preach faithfully and preach. And then bang, revival breaks out. The miracles happen. And this is what happened to Paul. The, the, the context and the text tells us that he, was, he wasn't expecting much. He was just preaching and preaching the word. And then bang, revival happened. So revival is phenomenal. To the point that when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. You know, some of us come from backgrounds, or pagan worship backgrounds, and we know you've gone to mediums and mediums give you kind of prayer cloths, you know, all that kind of things, and then you bring them back and you put them on your sick uh, family relatives. You, some of you, you, you experience that. Now, now, you ain't seen nothing yet in revival. You know, God was not copying the mediums or pagan worship. He was original. Somebody say original. All the powers of darkness, they were copying what God was trying to do, what God was doing. Original, because many of these people brought handkerchiefs to Paul, the handkerchiefs. It didn't say whether it's dirty or clean handkerchiefs. can be dirty also. It just touches skin, Okay. And then they brought it and they put it in our grandmother's. Their grandmother's, you know, has a stroke and is lying on bed in the house. They throw it on the grandmother's body. The grandmother wakes up and cooks them a fast, fantastic dinner. How about it? How many of you like to see that happen? You don't like to see it happen? You, would you like to see that happen? 
you throw a handkerchief, you know, you come to, to, to church and then the elders and the pastors all pray for the handkerchiefs and then you go back and then you put it, you throw it on your mum, you know, who's got bad arthritis and cannot walk and suddenly the joints come back, you know, and, and she's just running out of the place. Can somebody say amen? Are you excited about this? That's why I always carry handkerchiefs around. I don't carry tissue paper. That's, I'm waiting for the revival to break out, man. Hallelujah. Yeah. Pastor John also, he's carrying handkerchiefs. Yeah, yeah. His handkerchief is probably cleaner than mine. But it doesn't matter. When the revival breaks out, it's going to work all the same. Somebody say amen. You see, we, we thought these are temple papers. No. God's original. Even aprons. Some of you ladies, don't get rid of your aprons from the kitchen. When revival comes, remember, just bring your aprons along. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. These were phenomenal, unusual signs and miracles. The third thing about revival is that it is painful. See, it says many who became, now this is the part of revival that people, they, they got a little bit of hesitation about, but it's all in the Word of God so that we understand how revival looks like. Everybody thinks revival is just, no, in the gentle by and by, everything is nice and sweet, but revival can be painful. Verse 18, many who, who became believers confessed their sinful practices. The sinful practices is not just that they burn all their horoscopes, books, you know, and the occult books and the witchcraft books. No, it was a confessing the sinful practices. Things people didn't know before. You know, about their secret sins, about their secret habits. They came and they were crying out to God publicly and confessing them. And crying out to God about them. Yeah, they were their sinful practices. You know, and, and sometimes that culturally can be quite shocking because we come from an Asian context. And in an Asian context, we suddenly feel that, you know what, if you've got any, you know, things that you've done secret once, uh, don't tell anybody, like, just... But here in the revival, they stood up and they confessed their sins. As they confessed their sins publicly, God set them free. All the things that have been holding them in bondage for so many years, their secret habits, their secret sins, the things that are shame out, in one moment of time, they stand up and they confess it. You know, there's no shame. There's just release. There's just total freedom. And nobody judges them in the revival. Nobody says, hey, how come you're like that? You even, hear, you even hear your own father and your own relatives and your uncles confessing their sins and then you don't judge them. You're not like, oh, how can you be so bad? No, no. it's like, oh God, thank you for doing this in my family. God, thank you for setting my family free. God, thank you. It was painful. But you know, God was doing this. And some of these culturally may not be to our liking. Because Asian people, we don't like to you know, confess things openly. One, We like to hide it. But in revival, this is what happened. And this is what happened in the 1973 revival that broke up amongst the clubbed people. In the one day in the school, amongst the high school students, one of the teachers who was in charge of uh, the Christian Union, uh, he, he stood up and he said, I'm going to resign as the advisor to the Christian Union, because I feel so unworthy. You know, I, my life is so full of sin. I cannot even keep up with God's standards. And I, I feel so condemned. I, I'm not worthy to be. And then he confessed his sins before the students and told him, please pray for me because I, I'm not worthy to be your advisor. And he was going to resign. And with that, the Holy Spirit came on the students. And they all started crying and co confessing their sins to each other and repenting. And the Holy Spirit came. That was the beginning of the Barrio Revival. The famous Barrio Revival that happened in 73, 50 years ago now. You know, in about, in October 73, in about a couple of months' time, we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Barrio Revival in Miri. And I'm going to be there.
together with many. I hope some of you can come with us uh, to that. We're going to fill a stadium as we celebrate the burial revival. But that's how it happened among school students. And then we're confessing the sins. What kind of sins were they confessing? Even petty things like they stole a pencil from somebody, one of the students, two months ago. They stole an eraser or a rubber from somebody. They stole five cents from somebody two months, three months ago, last year. And they came, came, to, came, to, came to, to each other and said, here's your pencil. Please forgive. It's shorter now because I've used it for the last six months. But here it is. I'll buy you another pencil. And they were weeping before God. Weeping before God. And they, they began prayer meeting after prayer meeting. And it's October. The public exams was coming in November, end of the year. And the headmaster clamped it down. The headmaster said, I don't want this to continue. He was a Christian, backslidden Christian, but he clamped it down and said, I don't want all this nonsense about prayer. You must study for exams because if you don't, you know, I, I will make sure I'll discipline everyone. I'm going to shut this whole thing down. So he shut the whole thing down. And the students secretly continued to pray at night. When all the lights were out, they continued to pray because the hunger for God was there. And then one day, one night as they were praying, the Lord gave them a vision that the headmaster was beholden to pagan spirits. He had an amulet, a fetish or a charm that he put in his right-hand pocket. Not even his wife knew about it. He depended on the spirit to protect him and to advance his career, although he was a backslidden Christian. And so one day, the students came to him the next day and knocked on his door and said, but Sir, can we see you? And he, he, he allowed them and says, what's this all about? I don't want to hear anything about this nonsense, okay? You all should be studying. And he reprimanded them and chided them. And they said, sir, we just have to tell you, we just want to tell you this humbly, sir. We, we bow, they knelt before him and said, we, we, we don't want to offend you, but we just want to tell you this, that God showed us that you have this amulet, this charm in your right-hand pocket, and you're using it to, 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 you're depending on it to protect you and to advance your career. You're depending on spirits. You're not depending on God. Nobody knew about this charm. With that, the headmaster fell down and asked for forgiveness, and he cried out. He was a totally broken man. God intervened. It's painful. The headmaster kneel before the students. It's painful. But from that moment, that lid on the revival in Barrio and the school was lifted. And the revival began to spread right through the whole village and in the church. And people began confessing their sins to the church. And then it went eventually to the other villages around Barrio. The whole Kalabit tribe, you know, was converted. And then it went to the, the Lunbawang tribe. And that gave rise to the Bakalalan revival. The fire spread. But it can be painful. Because even as people stood up to confess their sins, it's not that easy. But each time as they stand up, they are set free. Somebody say amen. And that was, you know, and you know, these students were, were incredible. They continued to pray to God. And you know, some of the revival fire came to the borders of Sarawak and Sabah in the Tenom Maligan area. And uh, stories were told to me of uh, what happened in some of these uh, incidences. The Tenom revival uh, went, uh, the the Barrio Revival went even to the outskirts of Tenom. And, and it says here, what was the result of this? Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. So, uh, incident was told, whereby some of the villagers gathered round, because there was no electricity in some of those villages. They gathered round at night to have, you know, a, a prayer meeting and to sing uh, and worship God. And suddenly, during a time when they were waiting on God, a woman got up. This is a story that was recounted to me by the missionaries who were there. Um, and a woman got up and started running around the whole circle. Yeah. And, and like an aeroplane with her wings outstretched. And uh, she was buzzing and making buzzing noise as she was going along. Like a plane, just buzzing around. Why she has to do that, I don't know. But this is what happened. She came to somebody and who was, was, you know, sitting down and said, you know, the Lord shows me that you have stolen somebody's chicken from that village three months ago. 
And then that guy will fall down in fear. And he did. He stole the chicken about three months ago. And then she would go, mm, going around again. Then it comes to another guy and said, the Lord shows me that, you know, there was a pig that's not yours. Or all your hurts, that bad pig came from this other, this other person that you stole from that, that village. From the, from the village. And then that guy will fall down in fear and cry out and repent. And then she goes around again. Mm. Now when she goes around this time, nobody wants to look, you know. Everybody is just crouching down. Yeah, revival can be painful. How many of you still want revival? Can I see your hands? You really want revival? Because, you know, when revival breaks out, some of you, like, you go slouching your seats. Don't, don't. Just hiding. It can be painful. But every one of those who confessed their sins, they were set free. And their lives took off. Nobody judged them for that. It's the atmosphere of forgiveness. Atmosphere of reconciliation with God. Atmosphere of being redeemed and being set free. How many of you like that atmosphere? It's a revival atmosphere. So, that's pain. But just exactly what happened in Brownsville in 1995 when the Brownsville revival took place in Pensacola in Florida. It's exactly what happened. You know, Steve Hill was the evangelist and sometimes even before he finished preaching, people would be rushing out of their seats and crying on the floor and repenting of their sins. Some of these are police officers, the sheriff in town, you know, the, the professor in the local university and they were crying out to God. So revival can sometimes be painful, but in the pain, we are set free. Somebody say Amen. Okay, you still want revival? So soft. You still want revival? Okay, make sure, because guys here want revival. Guys online, you're watching it. They want revival. I don't know about you, okay? So they want revival. Here's the final thing about revival. It is perturbing. It's not just phenomenal. It's uh, not just painful. It's not just pulsating. It can be perturbing. And we told a story about seven sons of Sceva. And this is what happened. They were... Jewish exorcists, these are pre-believing, not believers, exorcists, they visited the revival. They heard revival was happening. It's just like they heard revival was happening in this church. The mediums from the other faiths come. Mediums. Okay, what's bringing them? They see, they hear revival is happening. They hear that people are being healed. So they want to come and find out what the secret is. So there were some seven sons of Sceva, which is Jewish, who was a Jewish exorcist. They didn't know Jesus. So, they found out that many of these people were set free from the demonic oppression in the name of Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. So they, they thought the formula was in the name of Jesus. So they found somebody who was demon-possessed, demonized in the auditorium. And then this is what they said. They said, we command you, demonic spirit, to get out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They don't know Jesus. And this is what happened. The demons... I answered him and said, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who the dot are you? <laughs> and this is what happened. Then the possessed man went berserk, jumped the exorcist, beat them up, and tore off their clothes. Naked and bloody, they got away as best as they could. And so immediately what happened, they were bashed up, the seven sons of Sceva. Clothes were stripped from them. And they were running out of the church naked. They were running out of the auditorium, Sky Arena, wherever we are. They ran out naked. Can you, can you imagine that? Supposing you're one of those who is very cynical about revival and you're not sure whether God is in revival and you're coming for that first Sunday to check out whether God is truly in this revival or not. And you're walking towards church and you see seven naked men running out of the auditorium, Sky Arena auditorium, leaving a trail of blood behind them. What do you think? Nah, this is not revival. They cannot be God. God won't do this. And you turn around and go back home and you missed it. It's in the Bible. 
God was there. What, what were these things? These were epiphenomenon. These are sideshows. They're not the main thrust of revival. Where the power of light and God's glory meets the power of darkness, you have temporary chaos. Yes? Can somebody say amen? Because the demons will manifest. They'll be cast out. And if you judge the revival just by epiphenomenon, sideshows, you will miss the main thing. Which is exactly what happened. We nearly did. When we, we, Pastor Nancy and I, we went to Toronto in 1994 when the revival broke out in the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. We flew all the way there. You know, nowadays you can watch revival from your, from your live feed. Those days you have to go. So we went because revival had broken out in Toronto, in the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. We flew 20 hours to get there. We were so excited when we got there. We dropped our bags at the hotel and we went straight to the night meeting. And then we, we and the presence of God as we walked was incredible. Wonderful presence of God. Oh, God, so thank you. And then at the end of the, the, the sermon, you know, in the night meeting, the, the minister was saying, oh, those who want to be prayed for, who want to just be filled with God's presence and glory, just, just stand, uh, stand up and, and make a line. They removed all the chairs and everybody made the line. No, there were no chairs. Everybody was sitting on the floor, so everybody stood up. Um, and they had masking tapes on the, um, on the carpet. Everybody stood on, along the lines of masking tapes, but these masking tapes are about six feet apart. Why? Because the average height of the American man was six foot, yeah, six feet, and when they fall under the power, you need that space, okay? So they were all standing out. So we were standing somewhere at the back, uh, you know, behind one of those masking tapes, and the ministry was starting, and then suddenly, as Pastor Nancy and I were standing, a man standing in the, in the line in front of us turned and looked at me, and they were there. he had a demonic look in his eyes. His eyes were red. He was menacing. He came towards me to hit me. And I'm like, God, do something. I'm just like, I, I prayed a prayer, urgent prayer to God, you know. And God was merciful because God diverted his attention, not to me, but to the big six-foot guy sitting next to me, standing next to me. And so this guy socked him one. This demon, demonized guy went and socked him one, you know, to, uh, to hit him. And he blocked with his hand and they, 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 they struggled and they wrestled. And he wrestled him to the floor and there were four other men who sat on this demonized man on the floor. He struggled for about 15, 20 minutes while the ministry was still going on. Nobody was, everybody was oblivious to this. It was a big hall, thousands of people there. And then he was exhausted. They let him go. He came to his senses. And then he stood up and he shouted at the top of his voice, I have a message from God. And then he collapsed. Was it a demon? You bet, 100% demon. And Nancy looked ashen-faced. She looked at me and said, I didn't come 20, fly 20 hours for this. No, let's go home because it's demons. I said, no, yeah. God is here. Acts 19. God is here. Just because you see this epiphenomenon doesn't mean that God is not here. And we stayed. I persuaded her to stay. And we stayed on for another week. And uh, there was a really, we, 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 enjoyed, we, we drew so much and God met with us at Toronto. We would have missed it had we just judged it by the epiphenomenon at our first encounter. We would have missed it. But you know, had you come to church on that first Sunday and you saw seven naked men running out, you would have done the same thing. You would just judge it and done a U-turn and gone and you would have missed one of the greatest revivals in the New Testament. And so, when that happened, you must understand that God must give us a heart to shepherd revival. Somebody say shepherd revival. Which means we must have scriptural guardrails. Scripture must be our guardrail. When events happen in revival so that we continue to be open to the revival and not quench the spirit. There will be epiphenomenon. There will be sideshows. There will be things that will be disturbing. Then things that will be culturally challenging to you. 
like people publicly confessing their sins. Not Asian to do that. It's not Asian. Maybe it's not probably in most cultures to do that as well. Even to see some of your elders or your, your uncles confessing the sin, it's not. It's culturally challenging to you. Some of the things may be personally challenging to you. It, it offends your personality. Some of it may be experientially challenging to you because you are used to a quiet setting in a church and it's a bit too noisy. Some of these things may be, you know, even doctrinally challenging to you because you have a doctrinal bias. Because you think everything that's true must be seen through the lens of your particular denomination. No. Or if I'm from this particular denomination, it's the only way to look at God's Word. No, what about the other denominations who have a doctrine? What about the other denominations who have a doctrine? You see, doctrine at the end of the day, yeah, is man-made. Only the Word of God is eternal. Somebody say amen. Doctrines are necessary and they're very important. They're important guardrails and they, we, we appreciate doctrine. We hold on to doctrine. We help. But you must understand there's something in our doctrine. Nobody has a monopoly of the truth just in their denominational doctrine. Somebody say amen. You don't. So we must say, I'm not quite sure, but let's see what the Word of God says. So shepherding revival means we must have scriptural guardrails. So we continue to be open to the revival and not quench the spirit. What are the guardrails? Number one is the Word of God. Somebody say, Word of God. Verse 10, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So the message about the Lord, which is the word of the Lord, spread widely and had a powerful effect. The word of God is paramount. We must always go back to the word of God. That's our first guardrail. What does the word of God say about any revival? Well, it is this. Central to any revival is the glory of God. The glory, the manifest glory of God must authenticate the Word, which means it must prove that the Word of God is true. When you preach about Jesus, miracles take place. When you preach about Jesus, the command the name of Jesus, demons leave. When you prove, uh, but when demons leave, they don't want to leave quietly. You may be shrieking, and, but you like a quiet church. But there's shrieking, there's so much chaos there. Oh, it can't be God. No, because light encounters darkness. Darkness manifests in some of these ways. So you, you understand, once you understand that, you need... What, what was the glory of God when that, when that demonized person was released? When he got up off the floor after shrieking and shrieking for an hour, did he begin to actually love God? His life changed? Did he stop beating his wife? Did he love his children more? If all these things happen, it's glorifying to God. You understand? You look at the results. Look at it. What happened? So the glory of God was manifest, authenticating His Word. See, when the glory of God is manifest because of God's Word. It arrests people with a holy awe and a holy terror. The holy terror is a reverence of God. Oh God, God is, you're here. Don't play, play with God. Don't play, play. You know, don't mind, mind. Uh, the holy terror of God in their lives resulting in repentance, reverence, and transformation. En masse. And this is what verse 17 tells us. The fear of God fell upon them all and the name of God on the Lord was magnified. The second way you you, you shepherd revival and, and put the guardrails in and see whether you continue to open, be open to it, is look at the fruits. Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit. By their fruit, you shall know them. So even if things are messy, you see them. Test the fruits and see if they are genuine. So if you look at the, the mess in the Ephesians revival, this is the mess, okay, Acts 19. You see, the Holy Spirit never misses. Acts 19, he gives you this, everything, including the mess, so that you can actually appreciate how we need to shepherd revival. What are the guardrails? See, you look at 
Acts 19. What is the mess in Acts 19 in the revival? There was a public confession of sin. Not very nice. No, people don't go to a quiet corner and just confess. There's a public confession of sin. As I say, sometimes it's outrageous to our culture. Secondly, there was public impropriety and naked chaos. As I said, seven naked men running around. Now it's like, come on, is this God? It's God. Thirdly, public offense to, of people to other faiths. Now the Christians in Ephesus were just minding their own business. They were rejoicing in God. They were worshiping God. They, you know, they were confessing you know, their sins and they were, they were just, just being reconciled to God. But more and more and more people were coming. So people of other religions and faith got very upset especially the worshippers in Ephesus of Diana Artemis, one of these Greek mythological gods of fertility. They, the whole city worshipped this god. It's just like sometimes you go to a city like, like Penang, for example. You know, wherever you walk, most of the city worship this particular deity. You, you can feel it. In, 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 in Ephesus, we're like that. The whole city worshipped this particular deity and it took great offence because more and more people were coming to the church, and they said, these people, you know, they are, you know, they, they're just in a cult. These people, you know, they're all in hysteria. These people, are, they're all mad. You know, they're, they're doing all kinds of things. They're trolling everyone who goes. There was a public offense to the people of other faiths. And it was exactly what's happening in Ephesus. They actually caused a riot in Ephesus, uh, people of other faiths. And thirdly, fourthly, there was public disorder and public disorder charges. So much so that they accused even the Christians because there was long traffic jams coming to church both day and night. They accused the Christians of being publicly disorderly. And they got the, the officials to try to stop this on a, on a public offense, a public disorder charge. But it's, <laughs> and it got from bad to worse. You know, so, so these are some of the quote-unquote mess. But if you're like a revival, huh? well, shouldn't everything be orderly, everything be quiet? No? This was not happening in Ephesus. The Christians and the church was accused of public disorder. Not their faults. There's a more people came jam up the roads. It's was saying, you know what? You know, they have hysterical, mad people and all kinds of things. And not only that, if there was social media in those days, you would be trolled on social media. And for you, you're just because you joined and you're part of a revival, your friends will troll you on social media. They will say, are you mad? How you come and join that lunatic group? You know, I heard all these are rumors, they're not true, there's no healing. Ah, we heard, you know, there's full of demons. We heard there were naked men there. You get trolled. Do you still want to be identified as part of the past of this revival? Yes or no? Yes or no? Are you sure? Because it's a revival. You put up with it, and that's what happened. But why do you can be confident that this is God? Because of the fruits. How do we know? Because lives have been changed. What are the fruits of the Ephesian revival? Okay, number one, the Word of God grew. If people are preaching the Word of God day in, day out, it cannot be the, the enemy. There was mass turning to Christ. If people are getting saved every day. The last time I checked, the devil was not doing that. The devil was not getting people saved every day. It has to be God. Thirdly, there was confession and repentance. When people confess their secret sins and repent, they engage God again. Their lives are set free. The demons have no bondage over them. Cannot hold them in bondage anymore. They're set free from the powers of darkness. The signs and wonders and miracles and healings take place. And then demons are expelled and people are set free. The spirit of death, the spirit of suicide, the spirit of oppression and depression and everything is broken. People are free. And they live down. They regain their mental health. They regain their sanity. 
Demons are, and there was public breakaway from demonic bondages. People are burning their horoscope books, their pornography, you know, their, their substance abuse, you know, their alcohol bottles and their cigarettes and whatever they're abusing their bodies with, you know, all these kind of things. They're burning it, the horoscopes, the occultic books, all their charms and fetishes and their good luck charms and everything they're just burning to the worth of millions of dollars. Millions. You're just burning it publicly. And when they come throw it publicly, people say, hey, I didn't know that you're keeping these things. Nobody says that. Everybody is under the conviction and the fear and the terror and the forgiveness and the love of God. They just do it. Nobody judges anybody. And they just burn it. Millions of dollars. Oh, but what about the epiphenomenon? You know, here and there, the chaos here. What about that? What about what other people say? Check by the fruits. The last time you look at any of these fruits, the devil wasn't doing any of these things. Can somebody say amen? Has to be God. Has to be God. And the widespread fear of the Lord filled the city and the region. And people become suddenly aware from Tuaran to Penampang to uh, Papa and Beaufort, they became aware that there's glory of God here. Somewhere in the city, don't play play with the name of Jesus. That's revival. And the glory and the name of the Lord, yeah, of Jesus was magnified. And the final thing is the state of our hearts. So the first thing is the Word of God. Somebody say, Word of God. Second thing is the fruit. Somebody say the fruits. And the third thing is the state of our hearts. This is the final thing. It's very subtle. What is the state of your heart when revival comes? Many of you may want revival, but when it comes, and sometimes they have things are a bit messy with you, what's the state of your heart? Do you see, I want to know God in this, even though there's mess? Or do you like, this cannot be God, I'm out. What's the state of your heart? Because it's, it's very crucial to whether you continue in revival and continue to immerse in it and grow in it and see God's glory transform your life or you're like, you're out of it. The state of your hearts. How we see revival when it comes will depend on the state of our hearts at the time. If we are spiritually dry and we have no hunger for God and we are more tradition bound during that time, we will tend to use our minds and our own doctrinal biases and our limited experience to judge harshly on any move of God. That's why I believe God gave us Acts 19, this whole incident, so that it would reveal the state of our hearts. Because you know what? Even in the mess, we see in Acts 19, God was there. The church in Ephesus grew after that. And the word of God prevailed, the Bible tells us, mightily, mightily. The whole of Asia heard the word of God. And fear came on everyone around the city and in the city. Wow. How can it be the devil? It has to be God. And yet, if we are more tradition-bound and we are dry, we may just stand in a distance and just pontificate and we just scoff and we just point out some of the epiphenomenon and say that's why and we judge it and we judge it harshly. And so doing, we will miss out. So state of our hearts is important. Everybody say state of my heart. Okay? State of your hearts is very important. Okay? We will even ignore the fruits of revival because of the messy epiphenomenon. And in short while, I'm going to share how this caused the Welsh revival to die in just a mere 18 months. But before that, let me just tell you about the state of my heart. When we went to Toronto, Pastor Nancy and I, although we were spiritually hungry, I was still sometimes a little bit cynical. You know, that's the way I've been trained, a bit, bit cynical sometimes. And you know, one of the things that happened in Toronto was that the Toronto revival brought people back to the heart of God. Many, many thousands and thousands of Christians and ministers who were tired in serving God, want to give up already, came to Toronto and their whole life was turned around. 
because God refreshed them and gave them a fresh vision. Because the Father's embrace and the Father's heart reached out to them. And many, many thousands of ministers from all over the world. And so when I went to Toronto, I knew this was happening, but I was still a bit cynical about some of the signs that were happening in the Toronto Revival. Because in the Toronto Revival, one of the epiphenomenon, the signs was, a lot of people were getting funny movements with their bodies. They were jerking like this, you know? And uh, so the, 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 the day after that demonic encounter, we went to the next meeting the following morning. And we came to the church and the usher greeted us. And, you know, he was jerking as he greeted us. He said, welcome to the Toronto Airport Church. And I'm like, well, I didn't travel 20 hours to see a bunch of jerks, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was jerking away. And then, you know, everybody was jerking all around. You know, lots of people were jerking, including the minister. He was coming up and just saying, welcome in the name of Jesus. And I'm like, why do you have to jerk? Can you just say welcome in the name of Jesus without these distractions? I don't know, but it just was happening. It was just an epiphenomenon. Uh, you know, and, and people were rolling on the floor in holy laughter as well. Some of them were falling on the floor, they were rolling, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, you know, how come a distinguished lawyer can be rolling on the floor in holy laughter? Has to be like, if a distinguished lawyer, you know, can roll on the whole floor in holy laughter, must be a revival, especially lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, can you do without all these kind of things? And I used to make fun of them. Because when we got back to the hotel room after a meeting, you know, the moment we shut the door and nobody was looking, I turned around to Nancy and started joking. <laughs> and I would roll on the floor laughing. Ha, 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 you know. I was mocking the revival. Really mocking it. I, I, and as a result of that, for the five days I was there, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm like, where is this? What's happening? Nothing. And on the last day, I said, God, I'm just desperate. You know, whatever it is, we've traveled so long. Just whatever you want to do. And then at that last meeting, uh, on that last day, I came up for prayer. Somebody prayed for me. I fell under the power of the Spirit. And then I started laughing, rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> I had holy laughter. Ha, 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 ha. I was laughing. All and I was going on for 20, 30 minutes laughing on the floor. Was it necessary? I don't know. But I felt a great release. I felt God's love. But, you know, the, then, then the, the meeting ended. And they said, those who can get up, please get up. So I got up. And I walked back to Nancy. She was sitting in the middle of the crowd. And I started joking as I was moving back. <laughs> so, you know, don't mock the revival. You know, don't, don't mock revival. And Nancy stood and she was sitting there as I, she watched me coming back to her. And she said, no, cannot be you. No, no. <laughs> and I reached out. I fell under the power again. And God did something. And so that, that was what happened in Toronto in 1994. But, you know, that was the last day. And I will tell you something. So God met with us, but that meeting that morning, the minister was walking along and that meeting that morning. After that, what happened to me, I got back to my seat. The, the next meeting continued and this minister came up. He was dressed in jeans and T-shirt. Uh, you know, long before the days, most ministers in 1994 were all dressed in ties and suits. It's not like today. And so when they walk around jeans and T-shirt, how can... I said, that's so offensive. How can you down... To, dressed down in the house of God. Now, I was, I was offended. But the Holy Spirit was not. Because as he walked along, he was drinking Coke. I'm like, how can you drink Coke in the house of God? At least a high-class coffee, a brewed coffee maybe. But Coke. But I was offended. But the Holy Spirit wasn't. And he walked. the court. And then as the meeting progressed, he said, there's somebody here. He pointed to this large auditorium, 4,000 people. In a far corner, he said, your name is Sonia, I think. Yeah, Sonia. God is calling you. Would you come to the front because God has a word for you? And nobody appeared. And I thought, oh my goodness. He got it wrong. So he said, no, I'm sure your name is Sonia. Your name is Sonia, yeah. You're on that corner. 
um, God is calling you. Will you come forward? He waited another minute, two minutes. Nobody came. And then he, he just was persistent. And I thought, come on, buddy, move on. You got it wrong. And then somebody came on from the other corner. A woman came and uh, forward. He says, is your name Sonia? The woman nodded. She, her name is Sonia. And he said, uh, yeah, I'll pray for you afterwards, but you're not the one. There's somebody here. Your name is Sonia on that side. And I thought to myself, if I were the minister and I got, you know, after three minutes, four minutes, somebody comes up, I'll take whatever comes up, you know. <laughs> Even if her name is Sophia or whatever, I got it wrong, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is for real. This is, you know, this is really for keeps, you know. Is it going to cut or not? He said, your name is Sonia. And after that, a woman got up reluctantly, came to the front, red hat, five foot, bit, uh, bit plum, you know, and she said, he said, you know, normally I won't say this, but God has given me permission to say it. So I want you, to, I say this so that you'll know what I say after this is from God. He said, you've been suicidal three times. He said, normally I don't say this, but I just want to say it so that you know it's from God and what I say after this. And at the moment he said, you've been suicidal three times. This woman just broke down and cried and cried and cried and sobbed. Well, I'm sitting there, what, what's happening? We don't know what's happening. And then uh, the word, when that was finished, uh, the meeting was over. The last meeting came that night. Sonia came up to give a testimony. She stood up, and this is her testimony. She was age 17. She fell in love with a Christian from a church. He was a church deacon, and uh, that church deacon was married, left his wife, married her. Okay, and then uh, they had a happy marriage for the first one or two years. Then the abuse, both physical, sexual, verbal, all started. By that time, she was pregnant, gave birth to a child, and then, you know, the, the all kinds of fights happening. And then this, this man abused her, and she, the whole marriage broke up. So she, she was left with a child. And then the, she married on the rebound. Another guy who said he loved her. And as a result of that, the whole cycle repeated itself. She got abused physically, sexually, and everything else, and then the whole marriage broke up. By that time, the child was growing up, and then she had to do all kinds of things to earn a living. She was cast out on the streets. She even walked the streets, I think, at one stage. And she had all menial jobs and everything, but she told herself she was never, ever coming back to church because these Christians have deceived me, that Christian deacon. That's what she said. And then she married a third time many years later. Uh, and then, you know, again, thinking that this would work because the man said he loved her. And uh, then by the time the child was actually, I think, a pre-teens, you know, probably just entering his teens and got knocked down by a car and died. So go from bad to worse. And the marriage followed the same cycle. She was abused and it broke out. And uh, she was just left alone. And she was wondering, you know, in a menial jobs, alone. And then one day she was walking by a church. She heard the singing. And it just, you know, it just started something thinking in her. So she came back, came in and sat at the back of the church, this church. And uh, she met a man who then told her, you know, what are you doing here? And she told a little bit of a story, but, you know, because she heard the music. And then this man knew that she, was, she needed help. And she said, you must go to Toronto. God is in Toronto. This is an American woman, okay? Uh, God, God is in Toronto. You know, you, you, you go to Toronto. She said, what do I have to do in Toronto? I, I don't know anything in Toronto. She said, no, you must go. God is there. He will minister to you. You'll be, he will, you your life will be all right because, you know, if you go there. A woman says, I, 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 you know, I don't know what's happening. Please don't. I said, man says, no, I'll pay for you to go to Toronto. Eventually prevailed upon her, bought her an air ticket. She flew to Toronto, okay? And she, when you arrive in Toronto, this is the huge auditorium that we have, okay? 4,000 over people. And she came and she walked in and she knew she didn't belong. We're all worshiping God and then the meeting started and then everybody sat down and the minister was walking on the stage. And as everybody sat down, she said, she looked at all these Christians, you know, 4,000 plus. And she's, she just sat down. She's like, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing here? 
And she cried out in her heart. She said, Lord Jesus, my name is Sonia. And as she said that, this minister walked to the side of the stage. I can remember it in my mind. She said, the lady over there, your name is Sonia. God wants to speak to you when you come forward. If we didn't hear it with our ears, we would never believe this. God wanted her to come back to the Father heart of God. This happens in revival. If you hang around long enough, and you don't just prejudge it, and you allow the scriptural guardrails of the Word, the fruits of the revival, the Word, the fruits of revival, and your heart, guard it with your heart, you will reap the fruits of revival in your life. Because revival can minister to thousands and thousands, but it's also very personal. It will come home to you. Somebody say an amen. How many of you want a revival in your life? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air. How many of you believe God is going to bring a revival to our lives in the skyline? Okay. And many of you coming from another church, from another part of the world, believe that for your church. Believe that for your family. Believe that for the world, for your world. Now, how did the, the revival end in Wales? 1904, the revival started. By 1905, 18 months later, the Welsh revival had ended. One of the greatest revivals in modern history ended. 150,000 people got saved in 18 months in Wales. That's phenomenal. Churches were packed. You know, and... Uh, Coal miners were saved to the point that their language changed. The language changed in the coal mines. So much so that the horses pulling the coal out couldn't understand their masters anymore. Why? Because no more swear words. You know, gambling tracks and the greyhound tracks were all stopped, were, were, were out of business. The pubs were closing like crazy. People not drinking. Men stopped beating their wives, the coal miners in Wales. And uh, at the end of each month, the men had money to buy their children food still, and clothes and shoes. The whole Wales was changed. In this and yet 18 months later, the revival stopped. What happened? Well, Evan Roberts was preaching all over Wales. And after 18 months, he was quite tired. He was quite exhausted. He was burning and fire. He didn't know how to take rest. And so he sought for rest. And the person who gave him rest was a woman called Jessie Penn Lewis. Jessie Penn Lewis was a Keswick Convention speaker. She was a very well-educated woman a moon of means, great means, together with her husband. She was also an author of many books, Christian books, so highly respected in Christian society. And Jesse Penn Lewis offered Evan Roberts shelter in her home to rest and recover for the revival. And Evan Roberts not just stayed one week or one month, he stayed many months, eventually turned into years. He stayed. But under the influence of Jesse Penn Lewis, Evan Roberts was convinced by Jesse Penn Lewis that many of the manifestations in the Welsh revival were not real. They were not of God. He was convinced. And a couple of years after, Jesse Penn Lewis and him wrote a book called The War on the Saints, where he disclaimed many of the manifestations of the Welsh revival. He distanced himself from it. And as a result of that, the revival stopped. State of heart, you see, state of heart. The revival stopped. And the whole revival in Wales died out. You go back to Wales today, it's a pagan society right now. You go back to Wales today. But it stopped in its tracks. A year after writing this book, Evan Roberts distanced himself from this book. He recanted. He said, no, I got it wrong. This was of God. 
but it's too late. The book had already gone out. This is the original version. Subsequent editions of this book didn't have his name on it. It just had Jesse Pandus' name on it. But, but the damage was done. And Evan Roberts never went back to Wales. He stayed outside of Wales for the next 20 years. And he only finally went back to Wales to attend the funeral of his father. But the state of his heart tells us, you can stop revival like this for yourself. Sometimes revival will continue irregardless, but because of the state of our hearts, we miss it altogether. So what posture should we adopt? Be always Jesus loving. Somebody say amen. Okay. Everybody read this aloud with me. Okay. Read it aloud because that's the state of your heart you should have. Okay. Ready, go. Let's be Jesus loving and Jesus centered. Let's read. Continue aloud. Let's be desperate for more of God. Somebody say amen. Let's be open to the flow, not to control. Let's be humble, not proud. Let's fear God and not men. Whatever others may say, let's fear God and not men. Finally, let's hate sin, but love the cross. And then we will always be ready to shepherd the revival and continue to immerse ourselves in it. To you, how many of you believe that we're going to see revival in our lifetime in KK? And in our church, can I see your hands? Believe that with me. I believe that God has given me this word to say that if we will fan the flames, we will see revival. How many of you believe that you can see that in our nation and your nation? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air. That's what we're praying for. And that's why this coming Thursday, don't forget, it's an impartation. You're not here just to hear information. You come because it's an impartation from somebody whose heart is so hungry that God used him in a supernatural way. And he saw revival. He's a very humble man. You won't hear loud talk from him, but you come. Pack this place out. Prepare yourself. Maybe come, you know, eat a very light meal. Get your heart so settled before you come. Maybe fast, you know, but prepare yourself. Come. And don't just come to get information and just observe. Come because you're hungry and God will meet with you this coming Thursday. For all of you who come, I believe, you know, that we need to get into prayer. That's why I'm going to make my book, The Call of Issachar, uh, available to everyone. Every one of you who's, uh, you know, age of 15 and above, you can walk in here, you'll get this book called The Call of Issachar for you. But no proxy. You can't take it by proxy. Okay? You can't take it for a grandmother who's not here. You come and it'll be given to you. Okay? And this will help you to move into preparing and moving into revival, even as we plan in the coming days to move to our new sanctuary. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. Spirit of God is here. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Hallelujah. Praise the name. Shout out. Thanks for listening. This is the Skyline SIB podcast. And stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.